Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Let's welcome Melissa Emery of Emory Law Office in Louisville, Kentucky. I know a lot of you will really resonate with Melissa's story because Melissa wasn't your typical law student. When she went to law school, she was a mother of four, and she commuted through two states every weekend to attend her law school classes. She finished in the top 10% of her class in just over two years. And in 2017, she opened her law office, Emory Law Office, which focuses on helping people who've been injured in collisions. So, Melissa, it's so good to have you here today, and I can't wait to get know, to know more about you. Davina, thank you. I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Oh, great. So, you, uh, so much to unpack here and talk about, but um, you, first of all, just tell us what services uh, Emory Law Office, uh, Law Office provides. What, what is your area of practice? We are only a personal injury firm, and we've actually niched down to we, where we mostly do motor vehicle accidents with an occasional slip and fall. Okay. Okay. So I want to talk about that in more detail and kind of what made you decide that. But before we do that, I want people to get to know a little bit about you and who you are and kind of your journey to becoming an attorney. It sounds like you had a lot of miles on your journey. <laughs> I did. I kind of took the long way uh, to law school and the, and the long way to uh, becoming a business owner. I already had an MBA and four kids, like you said, before I started law school. And I applied to law school right after 9-11 when a lot of people were applying to law school and they weren't opening up additional seats. So I ended up finding, um, actually my ex-husband found it, a law school up in Michigan that had a weekend program. So we made Uh the decision that I would commute every weekend and, um, and I did and I loved it. I absolutely loved law school. Um, when I got done with law school, though, we went through a divorce, and he is an attorney, so um, finding a legal job when all of your connections suddenly poof was a challenge. So instead of going straight into law, I actually worked as a financial advisor with Merrill Lynch for about mm-hmm. 18 months until the best boss I've ever had sat me down and very lovingly pushed me out of the nest. And he said, you know, I could find a position for you here. I could make sure that you stayed even in Louisville for your kids. But he said, I think I'd be doing you a disservice. I think you need to go practice law. And wow. I cried and I, I pitched a fit, but uh, he was absolutely right. And I got to tell him that two years later that this was absolutely the right decision. Um, as far as the area of law I went into, though, I always wanted to help people. And I felt like uh, criminal defense wasn't quite my, my thing. Having yeah. gone through a divorce, I couldn't stomach that either. But personal injury law, personal injury law was uh, a real passion of mine. And I was fortunate that that was the first job that I got. Oh, I love that. I love that. So I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like to have four kids. And then you're, you're traveling every weekend across two states to get to, to get to law school because law school, I mean, law school's tough. It, <laughs> how, it how, is. When you're used to listening to Barney and the Wiggles all day long and eating <laughs> your food at the wrong temperature, I got to tell you, I actually enjoyed my weekends. I mean, I listened to my subjects on tape. Back then it was on tape. Yeah. Going to law school. 
Um, I got, you know, brain interaction and adult interaction and my food was at the right temperature when I ate it. And then I got to, you know, call my husband, call my kids, call my mom on my commute back. So I looked forward to my weekends actually. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So you, 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 you enjoyed that time alone in the car. It sounds like. I did. And I also felt like it set up for the kids. Um, now, that was not the ideal way to do law school, I don't think. I don't think uh, having a bunch of kids and then trying this is, is perhaps the smartest way to do it. Yeah. But I, I hoped it sent the message to my kids that whatever they want to do, there's a way to do it. Right, right. They are, uh, I, have known, I have known women who have started law school pregnant and finished pregnant with another child. Oh <laughs> and I'm always, I'm always, you know, just so full of admiration for moms who um, go to law school and and raise young children while they're doing it. Because, I, you know, when I was in law school, it was it was just me, and it was hard enough as it was. It was me and my husband. It was hard enough as it was. So I, it is a it is a challenge, really, on top of that. But I love your message, and it's a, it's a theme that you carry throughout your your work. This idea that um, you can you can accomplish whatever you set your mind to. Tell me how that sort of plays out in your law practice. Well, I mean, when we hire staff, we may hire them for one position, but we also want to make sure that they have opportunities to grow. So if somebody comes in, let's say as the receptionist, we don't want them to stay as the receptionist. We want them to grow into whatever they want to grow into. And so we tell them, you may be starting at this job, but if you want more, we'll give you every opportunity to get more. Um, we sit down and have meetings with them annually to go over their personal, professional, and financial goals. Um, and like, for example, we had a, an employee at one point that wanted to learn Spanish. Yeah. And I thought, you know, okay, you want to learn Spanish? This is what we'll do. I'll buy you Rosetta Stone. And when you reach these different milestones, you'll get raises. And, you know, in the end... When you're fluent in Spanish, that helps our business, but we've also helped you with a personal goal. Right, so, right. I, I love that. So that's come, it's come through as part of your management philosophy then. So tell us about, give us an idea of kind of the size of your firm and how you started out and, and how you've grown, how much you, you've grown. So we'll have sort of an idea. Sure. We started out in May of 2017 with three people. I was one of those three, and we very quickly went down to two. Um, right now we're at nine people, one of whom is an attorney in the Philippines who works for us as a litigation paralegal. So, um, we've expanded quite a lot in three and a half years. We plan to hire a slew more people in 2021, um, because one of my goals is to go and spend a month away from my office in the Philippines. And in order to do that, I've got to get out of the practice of law and just be working on my business. Right, right. That's that's really so critical. That's for for law firm growth is to be able to devote time to being the CEO of your law firm and growing your business. And right. you know, if making a whole lot of money is fabulous, and it's even better when you can do it and reclaim some of your time. <laughs> and to me, time has always been more important to money than money. Yeah. I can use money to buy a lot of things, but uh, we all wake up with the same 24 hours every day. So, um, you know, we, we really value our time. 
one of the ways right. that uh, that we do that here is like today, for example, this is our quarterly meeting day. So I take the time away from my office. I schedule our financial meetings. I schedule meetings with our C-suite. My husband takes a day off work. And together, we kind of go through and, and inventory the firm, the staff, our finances, uh, our personal, professional, and financial goals. And uh, that's really helped us a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's great. When did you start doing that? When did you, so like, what was it like when you first started your firm? Was it just you by yourself or did you immediately hire a paralegal, a receptionist? Give us an idea. I, I actually brought two paralegals with me uh, from my former firm. Um, one of them very quickly did not make the cut, but the other one stayed on for two more years and I had already had her for three. Uh, so I'd worked with her for quite a while. And then um, we tried to hire in advance of needing a hire. I would rather hire too soon than to wait too late. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just over time, we just kept adding. One of the trends that I saw, at least in, in my area, in Louisville, is that a lot of personal injury attorneys that go out on their own try to delay hiring people, try to delay mm-hmm. bringing staff on. Mm-hmm. And I just, that was not the way I wanted to do it. I wanted to have time for me. I wanted to have time for my family, mm-hmm. and so I knew I needed help. And by bringing in help, I'm helping that person help take care of their family as well. So right, right. Um, so what what do you think? I mean, I know a lot of uh, women law firm owners I, with whom I speak uh, have fear around hiring because they have this fear of Am I going to be able to pay this person? Is the work going to come? What do you think gave you the confidence to sort of make that leap? Because I agree with you. I think there's a there's a certain point where you have to sort of step out on faith a little bit and start bringing in a team. And maybe before you even feel like you're ready for it. Um, what do you think the difference was for you? I mean, like what kind of thoughts went through your head with regard to that? I, I really buy into the whole field of dream concept. If you build it, <laughs> they will come. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if it's there, you you have to do it. I mean, it's really scary as a personal injury lawyer. I don't get paid till the end of a case. Right. But right. My staff doesn't wait that long to get paid. They get paid every week. So I did some inventory before I moved. I kind of figured out, okay, what percentage of my case files do I think will come with me? I was conservative in my estimate. I set some money aside so that basically I could pay staff for three months, even if I couldn't pay me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we made it. But also yeah. staff knew that in order to, for them to make more money, in order for me to be able to give raises, which I want to give, the money has to be there. So they have to perform. Um, you know, we set up benchmarks for them. You know, this is, these are your KPIs. These are the, the numbers you need to watch and what you need to do. And if you do these things, it will happen. Right. And right. so, yeah, it's scary. It's, it can be scary hiring staff, but uh, we have never... We have never missed a payroll in the entire three and a half years we've been in business. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So let you, let's talk about, since you are a contingency uh, firm, uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of clients who are, they are billable and right. some who are flat fees. And it always comes up with, it's much, you know, easier in people's minds to think about how they can plan mm-hmm. to hire somebody if they're going to bring them on and they're going to start being billable, right? And then they go, okay, sure. 
I know they're going to be billable, so they'll be making me money. Um, but within a contingency situation, what do you think, uh, how, how has that been a, a model? Have you structured your business so that that model works for you to hire people? Well, I'll tell you, it's a business model I don't think I could have done as a single person. Um, I, I waited until I was married and my husband had a very stable, steady paycheck coming in before we made this leap. And then we set aside all of our tax money one year and we said, okay, we're going to give this a go and, and we're going to do our best. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also had to kind of take inventory of what did I have in place um, in terms of cases at my last firm, what percentage of those did I think would come with me? Um, and if they came with me, how long would I need to, you, you got to do budgeting. I mean, you have to sit right. down and do budgeting and planning and it is yeah. scary, but, but that's, I mean, that's how I did it. I don't know that I could have done it any sooner. I needed to know that I had cases that would come with me. Right. And you have, you, you have a, you know, a real confidence in your, in yourself and, and your abilities to, you know, make that happen. And I, uh, you know, the doing the math part is huge. You have to do the math. And then there's something else that's kind of an internal thing that allows you to be able to say, I can, I could step out and take this risk. What do you think? Uh, where do you think that comes from for you? For my mom, my mom yeah. uh, did not finish college because she started having children. And back mm-hmm. in that day, you know, you, you were pregnant, you didn't stay in college, I guess. Um, and after we both got in school, my sister and I both got in school, she said, I, I want to go get a job. And so she applied to work at McDonnell Douglas, the time aircraft carrier. Yeah. And um, she was going to be a floor sweeper and those just weren't opening up. So she went back to school and, and uh, learned sheet metaling and riveting and built airplanes. And I mean, this is a house, a housewife that went from being a housewife um, to, to physically building airplanes. And I know it was a really hard journey for her, but she did it. And she always told me if you want something bad enough, you can achieve it, but you're going to have to put in the work to do it. And so she was a real inspiration for me to know that, okay, if this is what I want, I can do it. That's wonderful. That's so, it's so important to have those people in your life who are, um, who are such inspirations yes. to you, yes. right? And I see that yes. as a, as kind of a, as kind of a, a theme in your branding and what you talk about, because you actually mentioned your mom in your, on your website, you talk about that. You don't go into that kind of detail about it, but you talk about that. And, and really all of, all of this, um, your, the inspiration from your mom, it sounds like really led you down this path of sort of helping people. Right. Right. She, she helps others. She's helped me get through stuff. My goodness, going through a divorce, even just having four children. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think when you've got people in your life that help you, you want to give back and help other people. And that's kind of the thread that I feel runs through my life and through my business. Mm -hmm. I want to help other people, not just clients, but help other people who are lawyers. Um, right. help other people who are staff. The more I can expand my business, the more people we can help. And in turn, the more people they can help. So she definitely set that up as a theme for me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about why you chose 
uh, you talked a little bit about why you chose personal injury and particularly um, collision injury. So go into that a little bit more and just just tell us a, a little bit more about why that is so important to you and why you chose to niche down the way you did. I've always enjoyed personal injury law. I think you're helping people that may have not ever had any interactions with lawyers before. I mean, I know that for me growing up, my family wasn't a wealthy family. They didn't go through a divorce. They weren't into crimes. You know, they never needed a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But when you get in a crash, I mean, this is something that's not your fault. This isn't something you've created. And sometimes you need a lawyer and you don't even know where to start. And so I have always wanted to help people. And I just felt that that was the best way to help people is to help people that may not have any interactions with lawyers otherwise in their lifetime. Right. And unlike most lawyers, you know, we don't pay by, we don't charge by the hour. It's contingency fee. So somebody doesn't have to have money to come into my firm and become a client. You know, that's, that's us helping them get money. Right. Right. Why do you think you, for personal injury, why do you, why have you sort of honed in on collisions? Um, because it looks like you do truck and motor vehicle and motorcycle and that's really kind of your area that you focus on. Why Why is that important to you? Well, I mean, personal injury, I enjoy helping people directly. Um, it, and as far as like why I didn't do workers' comp or med mal or something like that, honestly, the first job I got out of law school that was a law job mm-hmm. only did car accidents and only did uh, slip and fall cases. So that's what I learned. Um, yeah. I just I just didn't learn the other areas of law. So it just became a simplified system of we do car crashes, we do truck crashes, motorcycles, and, you know, anything automobile related, um, unless it's a worker's comp case. And then we we refer the rest out. And by referring the rest out, we're able to make those connections with other attorneys. So I always encourage my clients, current and former, call me with any legal needs you have. You know, consider me your lawyer. Um, I don't do family law, but let me... Let me listen to what you've got going on and put you in touch with the person or persons mm-hmm. who I feel would best be able to meet that need for you. Let me be kind of like your concierge of lawyers. Right. Um, yeah. So I, so, you know, I think there's, there's sometimes there's fear around uh, a lot of people questioning, should I niche? Should I niche down? How tightly should I niche down? Will there be enough work for me if that's the case? And I think you, you got to see an, an example with the firm you worked with. You got to see an example of a firm that had done that and it was a lucrative business model. And, and then you just said, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. Sounds like, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and again, I didn't want to rule out the ability to, uh, you know, pass referrals to other attorneys. If I can just become really good at my field and let Mm. them be really good at their field, you know, there's plenty of work for everybody. Um, But that gives me the opportunity to then interact without somebody feeling like I'm a competitor necessarily. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that's one of the best ways to build, build those sort of referral connections is by being a referrer and being a connector, you know, Absolutely. and setting people up. And I think that, I think what you've mentioned, what you touched on there is a terrific uh, sort of marketing idea, which is to um, communicate to your clients that, you know, I, even if I don't practice this area, call me first and I will hook you up with, you know, somebody that I know is good and who will be there to help Absolutely. you. Right. Absolutely. Right. Cause, cause if you're not used to dealing with lawyers, like I said, I grew up 
we didn't have a family lawyer. We didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't have one. And so it can be scary and daunting. What do you do? You know, pick up the yellow pages or Google. I mean, how do you know if that person's any good? Mm -hmm. But if you've already got a relationship with a lawyer, even if it's not their area of law, you can call them and say, Hey, I'm sure you know, a lot of lawyers. Who do you know? Who would you trust? You know, me as a person, you know, me as a client, who would you trust? Um, And it, it really helps build rapport uh, with clients, with other lawyers. And again, it, it helps clients who may be a little scared or nervous about the legal system. Right, right. Uh, and you make a very valid point there that, you know, we we as attorneys, we tend to think that, you know, once we get through law school, we get kind of jaded when we start getting into day-to-day practice. And we sort of think everybody knows these things, right? That, and we right. forget how many years it took us to learn what we know. And, and, and it's important to remember and realize that a lot of our clients coming to us, there's, you know, they have fear and rightly so in a lot of cases around the legal system and feeling that, feeling that, you know, not only now have I got to fear the insurance company, but am I going to, you know, is the lawyer going to take good care of me? I don't know anything about the insurance company. I don't know anything about the legal system and what am I supposed to do here? And that's particularly difficult when somebody's dealing with severe injuries and injuries that really affect their quality of life, right? Well, absolutely. Because, I mean, imagine it, it's challenging enough to try to research an attorney, try to research the law, figure out what you're going to do, what decisions need to be made on a good day. But now right. imagine trying to do it when you feel really awful. You've got a, a migraine, your neck's bothering you, your back's bothering you. You don't know who you can trust. I mean, talk about scary. Right. And and that's why, you know, when we deal with our clients, we do get kind of personal. I mean, we we have a newsletter that goes out. It's a hard copy newsletter. And it doesn't talk a lot about personal injury law. It talks mostly about my kids, my dog, my staff, um, because I want them to know I'm approachable. You can call me and, and tell me your personal stuff. Tell me your story and, and let us get the help for you that you need. But you do. You've got to have that personal relationship so that they can trust you with their with their case, um, especially personal injury. I mean, it gets into a lot of personal stuff sometimes. You know, they may have intimacy issues. Uh, they may have issues with their doctor and they don't know how to bring that up with their doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of personal information that's shared. And I think that one of the ways that we can connect with clients and help them with that transition is by sharing a little bit of ourselves as well. Right. Right. That's, that's so true. So absolutely true. Did, let me ask you this, how, uh, I think many times, uh, whatever area of practice, but I know personal injury is so referral driven and a lot of attorneys feel sort of intimidated by the big players in their area. Those guys who are kind of personal injury mills and they're taking, you know, they're trying to get all the cases and they're running commercials all during our dinner and first, you know, in the morning where we're having breakfast and they have billboards everywhere. What, what do you think you've done to sort of set yourself apart from these type of attorneys to differentiate yourself so that you're growing your practice? Well, first of all, I think that comes from a, from a mindset of lack. And I think that there is plenty to go around for everybody. Mm-hmm. So and we all have different personality types. I mean, um, I've had people call me before specifically because I'm not on TV. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'll never be on TV. Right. But those people were specifically not wanting a TV lawyer. 
Right. Uh, and I'm sure there's just as many people who also call those places because they're a TV lawyer. So, you know, when you hire a lawyer or, or a doctor or anything like that, it, it's a very personal decision. And you've got to find somebody you connect with. Um, and so I, I just work on my connections. I work on connecting with doctors, lawyers, connecting with my staff, connecting with the clients. And and it's a different approach for sure. I know uh-huh. we don't have the, the volume of some of the TV lawyers, but um, there's plenty out there. There's plenty uh-huh. out there. And, and we all have different personalities and different skills we bring to the table. We just need to go find our people and help them. Right, right. And that's great advice. Uh, let me ask you this. Speaking of advice, let's let's uh, touch on maybe some of the, you've, you've had your practice since 2017, so about three years now. And mm-hmm. tell me, what do you think some of the challenges you've had in growing your firm and how you've overcome them or, or maybe what you've learned along the way? Oh, staffing is, is always a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten better at it, I think, over the years. But, you know, when I first started, it was like, who can you find for the least amount of money? And I realized, you know, now the better way of hiring is find the right person, pay them what they're worth, and then look for ways to pay them more over time. Um, so in, instead of hiring the least expensive, we hire the best person. Um, and, and that's really helped us. That's helped us grow a lot. It's, it's helped our mindset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how many people do you have on staff now? Right now we are up to nine. Okay. Wow. So it's a good size firm. We're and, getting there. We're getting yeah. there. <laughs> and how have you sort of navigated uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic? Are you guys working remotely? Are you doing, you have distributed workers? Are you all still sort of working shifts or how's that, how's that working? We've done a little bit of both, and and I'll be honest, that was a very scary moment for me because mm-hmm. um, I was actually in uh, Cancun with my daughter when uh-huh. kind of this hit, and when my staff called me up and said, uh, we think we need to shut the office down and everybody go home. I mean, they were kind of panicked, right. and I said, well, you know, let, let's talk through this. Let's think about what we can do, and, um, and I had never worked remotely, and I'm not good at working remotely. And so it really, it really scared me. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, though, um, I work with how to manage a small law firm. I hire them as my C-suite. And so I was able to get on a call with them right away. And they put out a lot of information right away to help us mm-hmm. in how to set up workers to work remotely. So then at that point, I told my staff, okay, it's a personal decision. You can decide to work from home or you can decide to work in the office. We will stay spread out. Um, but again, they, they have key performance indicators that they need to achieve so that even if they're working at home, I know that work's getting done. And if that makes them feel safer and healthier and happier, well, that's what we want. We want happy, happy staff, happy staff, Mm. keep clients happy. Um, but it was, it was a challenge to be honest. It was a real challenge for me because I never thought of myself as someone who worked well from home. Right. And so now has your has your belief about that changed? Somewhat, somewhat it has. I mean, certainly we're getting stuff done and we're accomplishing stuff. And um, I've learned to set them up appropriately so that they have all the equipment they need. They've got the the regular full handset phone at their house if they're working remotely. Mm-hmm. 
you know, my, my operations manager, Libby, has been absolutely key to helping mm-hmm. us do this. She was a very new hire at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. And she was also one of the first people that came to me and said, I, I really want to work from home. And I took a deep breath and I said, okay, um, you show me how we can make that happen and we'll do it. And she did. Right. I mean, she said about making it happen and um, setting up policies and procedures for reporting and for checking in. Um, but if I'm being completely honest, I really look forward to the day when we can all be back in the office because <laughs> culture suffers just a little bit when you're remote, I feel. Um, we still did our Halloween costume this year, uh, costume contest. Um, we still have, you know, monthly staff meetings via Zoom, but um, it's just not the same as that ongoing camaraderie that you hear in the office. Right, right. I do think that there is, uh, I do think there, people have different sorts of, you know, we're all different. We like different, Absolutely. Uh, we have a different vision for our law firm. You know, some attorneys really love working remote and they'd love to have their whole team remote and never have an office. And then others right. have a vision of, you know, having a, a large office and having a large team and being able to impact and serve more people that way and love going to a place of work. I mean, even, you know, and not everybody has a setup in life where you could work from home and feel good about it. You know, some people right. don't have that personality and some people don't have a good setup that way. I know, uh, I know in interviewing assistants, one of the, one of the things that came up for me when I was interviewing for a new assistant recently was, um, it's a remote position and interviewing people, you could tell that people didn't have a setup, you know, for right. it. you'd hear their kids in the background and they're in a corner in their bedroom. And it's like, so we, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. It really doesn't work for everybody. And then certainly, like you said, culture is impacted. If Absolutely. what you're trying to create is that, you know, um, and, and I, and people are having to really work around and try to stay connected with their team in a way, um, that's different than just, you know, going down the hall and talking to somebody. Right. And it was a big challenge for me because I, I mean, I commute personally from my house to my office is nearly an hour. Um, But I enjoy my commute time. I enjoy my time with my, with my team and Mm -hmm. that camaraderie. I mean, I just, to me, that was so important that I I had a really hard time envisioning how that would look Mm -hmm. uh, to work remotely. And, right. and what we found is when we gave people the option of working from home or working in the office, um, people that kind of think like I do and, hey, I, I, I don't have the setup at home or I don't think I would stay as on task at home or I would miss coming in here, chose to stay in the office. Mm-hmm. And, and the other ones work from home but would check in. I mean, we set up video conferences just to check in with our remote workers, not in a, are you getting this done? Because we can see that in the in the computer system, but more in a, how are you doing? You know, right. cause I, I, part of my firm, a big part of my firm is our culture. And I really did not want that to suffer, especially through COVID. You know, that's, right. that's when we all need to be there for each other more than any time. Right. Right. And, uh, and hopefully we're, we're, see, we're kind of turning a corner and we'll be seeing some changes, um, you know, in the next few months with this, vaccine that are, they're promising. Maybe, maybe that will make a difference. I sure hope so. I, um, I sincerely hope so. 
Yeah. Yeah. As we're recording this, we're recording this in uh, December. So, you know, heading into the holidays and it's a little scary because heading into the holidays, a lot of people, you know, will be kind of ignoring the advice of experts and gathering with their family and stuff. And, you know, it's hard. It's definitely hard. Well, to- and, and we had we had that experience actually just this past month. Um, my husband was exposed to COVID with his family. I hadn't been at that gathering, but he got exposed. And I was out of town for a business trip and uh, had tested negative. They had very rigid making sure you tested negative before you went into the the program and you distanced and didn't eat with anybody and everything else. Uh Um, But because of that, I made a very split second decision not to come back home just in case he had it. And instead, instead, I flew to New York. I worked from a hotel room in New York and quarantined there until I could test again in New York. and meet my brand new uh, granddaughter. So yeah, I, I think we're going to be living with these fears for a little while now, but um, you know, there's always workarounds. There's always workarounds. Yeah. 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 We I mean, life has to go on, especially something that lasts this long. Life has to go on and we have to make, just make the best decisions we can make in the moment. Absolutely. Uh, sounds like you've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, just pivoting and, and, and finding solutions. And I, uh, and I loved it. We, you know, when you said you, when you're, uh, staff member came to you and said she wanted to work from home and you said, you know, bring me a solution, right? Um, yes. Is that kind of your philosophy in, in managing your team? It, it is because I make a lot of decisions. I, I mean, I think, you know, my husband works a manual labor job and, and mine's more of a brain job and it's draining to make decision after decision after decision, right. but also making decisions is using a muscle. And a lot of times employees don't get that as much as bosses do. Um, but if they're going to grow personally, professionally, financially, it's an exercise they need to, uh, it's a muscle they need to exercise. So by giving it to them and saying, okay, what is your proposed solutions? Um, one, I'm not the one having to make the decision necessarily. Uh-huh. Two, it allows them to exercise a, a brain function that they don't always have as much opportunity as me to exercise. And three, honestly, they know their job better than I know their job. So a lot of times right. they come to me with better solutions than I would have come up with. And that's a great way to get better ideas. You know, you ask a bunch of people and you brainstorm it. Right, right. Now, do you have, uh, do you have mainly a team of paralegals and staffers or do you have attorneys on your, mm-hmm. on your team? I, I have a litigation attorney and then uh, I still have a caseload myself. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, um, two paralegals, a legal assistant. Um, we've got, like I told you, the, the remote worker in the Philippines. She's a, uh, an attorney in the Philippines, but of course, working for our law firm, she works as a litigation paralegal. And we also have an operations manager that kind of helps hold us all together. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, you know, I know I mentioned how to manage before. Um, through how to manage in their program, I have a fractionalized CEO, COO, and CFO. And they kind of help manage me and uh, and help hold me accountable because I think everybody needs a little bit of accountability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure, definitely. Uh, what was it like for you when you hired your first attorney? Because I think people have a little bit uh, different experience hiring staffers and hiring attorneys. That is for sure and certain. Um, I'll be honest, a- attorneys intimidate me a little bit. They always have. 
And I know that's funny because I am one, but I've always just been a little intimidated by them. And so hiring an attorney was um, a very different experience for me. And and honestly, it was a little scary. Um, Again, though, I I had my CEO, COO, and CFO, and they helped guide me through the process. They they helped me vet the attorneys. They gave me um, procedures to follow. And and so it's worked out really well. I mean, we, we had another one that didn't work out so well, but the one we've got now is absolutely fantastic. It was a great interviewing process, onboarding process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was out of the office unexpectedly for two weeks instead of one, um, just this past month, I mean, the way he held the office together and held the team together, absolutely impressive. Absolutely Wonderful. impressive. Wonderful. And, and, he probably really took a load off you and started helping you make more money as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because I am not a litigator and he came in right away and he said, look, these cases need to be litigated. Let's get them in. And uh, it's, it's been really important to me to have someone of his caliber to bounce ideas off of, even for my own caseload. So um, yeah, he's, he's done amazing. We're very, very happy to have him. Right. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's a common, you know, I don't think you're alone in that sort of fear of hiring. That's why I ask you that question, because I know so many women law firm owners who, you know, have gotten comfortable sort of hiring paralegals and hiring receptionists and assistants. But then when it's time to hire an attorney, they sort of put that off. And, and, you know, the fear for a lot of people is, are they going to, am I really as good of an attorney? I think I am. Are they going to come in and sort of show me up? Are they... Are they going to be difficult to manage? I mean, there's all kinds of fears that come along with that above and beyond just like I have to pay this person and they make more than other people. Um, well, the the one one fear that you mentioned that I did not have was, um, are they going to be better than me? Mm-hmm. I absolutely did my best to hire better than me. I want to be the best owner and manager of my firm mm-hmm. and not the best attorney. I, I can I can bring in attorneys. Um, so that did not bother me as much, um, as some of the other fears, but I was, I know he's better than me. He's a much better attorney than me and I'm so happy to have him on board. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see that that's a wonderful, uh, decision. That's not ego driven. You know, that's, that's not ego driven and, and this concern that, you know, because we have to have, if we want to grow, we have to have. We want to bring in people with strengths in what right. we're hiring. And and generally, we're hiring. We want to hire for our weaknesses, you know. We want to have people Absolutely. in there that are compensating, that are that are helping balance out what we bring to the table because we have our Absolutely. strengths. So terrific advice there. Um, well, so thank you so much for being here today and sharing with me. I really enjoyed talking with you. What uh, Are there any sort of final a piece of advice or lesson that you would share to a woman law firm owner who may be a little behind you on the journey in the growth process, what would you say would be your number one sort of piece of advice? Uh, I would say prioritize things. Um, I use a a Michael Hyatt full focus planner. It's a paper planner. And of course I still have my, my digital calendar for my team to see, but um, so many days you find as an owner in particular, you get through the end of the day and you feel like, Oh, did I really accomplish anything? You know, I was putting out fires all day long. So I have my list of stuff that I want to get done every day, but I pick three. And those mm-hmm. those daily three things are if I got those done and nothing else happened, I would feel accomplished. 
Um, and I do that for the week. I do that daily. I even do that for the quarter because as a law firm owner, uh, you know, you can get into these programs and then think, oh my gosh, I've got 20 things to do. And that's not useful. So I pick yeah. three, pick three yeah. tasks and get them done. And they don't all have to be business related. I mean, um, a lot of times my, my big three for the day, one or one or more of them is not a, a business related thing. It's a personal thing, mm. but, um, just pick three, work in threes. It helps, it helps prevent overwhelm. It helps your focus. And it leaves you at the end of the day saying, okay, I accomplished something. Right. Right. And I love that. And, and especially picking, picking those, picking those three things and making sure that they're the things that are really going to move you forward and advance right. your growth of your business. You know, it can be so easy to pick three things that are just, Oh, I can cross these off my list quickly. <laughs> That's right, the temptation right. of a lot of us. Right. But we have to pick those things that really are going to move us. Like what is, what is the one thing I can do today that's really going to move my business forward? So I'm, I'm a huge leader in that. Um, tell us how we can connect with you or find out more about your firm. Sure. Uh, the website is emerylawoffice.com. That's E-M-E-R-Y lawoffice.com. And you can reach me by email at melissa at emerylawoffice.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Melissa, for being here and talking to us today. I know that you, the information that you shared here today, sharing your story is going to uh, resonate with a lot of people. And uh, I'm sure they're really going to enjoy this episode. I know I have. Again, I really appreciate the opportunity. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the league in the coming year, including the exclusive million dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.